Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will conclude our series about the life of Samuel the prophet. If you would like to follow along with this message, you can do so by turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. How many of you have ever let out that cry, Hosanna? You know, it doesn't mean praise God. It actually means, oh God, deliver us. It's actually a cry in the Hebrew, a a cry for salvation. Have you ever been at a place where you said, oh God, deliver me? Oh God, I need your salvation. That's what Hosanna is saying, and that's what we all sang together. Today we conclude our series, Belonging to God. And of course, the title of today's message on the life of Samuel is Serving. Take out your message guide. First two panels are your outline. And the verse I've selected, I usually try to select one from the New Testament that has a broad application because I'm teaching the the theme of this passage. Galatians 5.13 For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Now, what does this mean? Well, we make much about free will, don't we? We talk about our free will. Well, the truth is, until we're born again, our will is not free. It's bound. It's bound into disobedience. It's bound into sin. That's what Scripture says. But upon being born again, regenerated, cleansed, we have freedom. But now you have freedom to choose to obey or to choose to disobey. You have freedom to satisfy the sinful nature, but you also have the ability to deny yourself and serve God. And we serve God by serving each other in love. So you've been given freedom. What will you do with it? As we turn to this final message on Samuel, we know that the kings of Israel were called to be servants of God as they led the nation. Not dictators who followed their ego and conquered lands, but not as people who followed their own ideas and their own ambitions, but as people who obeyed God. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Like them, we've been called not as kings, but we have been called like them as servants to serve God by serving others and to pursue the specific task that he's prepared for us to accomplish. If you're born again, you have at least one assignment. Do you know that? A particular assignment, and he has shaped you and suited you for that task. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. Are you pursuing it? Have you discovered it, and are you pursuing it? Now, we know from last week that Saul was disqualified as king 
because of his unwillingness to obey God. 1 Samuel chapters 13 and 15, which I touched on last week. And then today, chapter 13, we see that a new king is selected. So we turn to 1 Samuel 16. In this Bible that we sell, it's page 237. And I begin at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. It's telling, isn't it, about his character that he, he mourned, he grieved over Saul's disobedience rather than being angry or ridiculing or resenting Saul. I have rejected him as the king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Now, Samuel lived in Ramah, which was 10 miles from Bethlehem, and he was going to Bethlehem to find a king to fulfill. Samuel didn't know this was to fulfill, but he was being sent, and it would fulfill Micah 5, 2, also quoted in Matthew 2, 6. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Even Samuel has some fear of man, doesn't he? Here's a powerful prophet, and yet he's afraid for his life. You can read Proverbs 29, 25, how fear of people is a trap. Matthew 10, 28. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and you shall say, you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Is that true? Is it? It is true. It's not the complete truth, is it? You say, well, that's a little, that's a little troubling to me. Well, here may, let me extract a principle, if I may. When we're asked a question, we must always be true. In any setting. That doesn't mean we always tell everything we know. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, if, some, if your spouse says, do you like my dress? You say, well, yes. Or you might, if you, you might say, well, that's not the color I prefer. But you don't go, oh, it makes you look so sallow. Oh, it ages you. Oh, it covers you up to, you know, you look frumpy in that. No, you do not say that. So you always tell the truth. It doesn't mean you respond with an exhaustive statement every time. You see? If I said, Leanne, you know, am I a slim guy or a pudgy guy? She said, well, oh, well, you, you look nice. You're not a slim guy, but. <laughs> so you don't need to say everything you possibly think every time you're asked, especially in an adversarial situation. Be wise. Be wise. We continue at verse 3. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. 
What's wrong? They ask. Do you come in peace? It's interesting, isn't it, that they were afraid of him. Now, why would they be afraid of him? Well, prophets came declaring judgment, quite honestly, and quite often. And Samuel has just personally killed a king of the Amalekites. And I wonder, it doesn't say it in the scripture, but I wonder whether he had all those animals slaughtered as well. Since taking them was disobedience as well. So when they see him coming, they fear that he's coming to declare judgment or execute judgment against them as well. Verse 5. Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves with me for the sacrifice. And come with me to the sacrifice. And purifying yourself meant to wash yourself and to wash your clothes. Numbers 8.21. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. Now, this wasn't inviting all of Israel. It wasn't even inviting all of Bethlehem. It likely was only Jesse, his sons, and these town elders who came out to meet this prophet of God. So we're going to see the selection of a new king. And in this selection, we will see qualifications for serving God. Because if they apply to David, they apply to us as well. And the first qualification for serving God is having a heart for God. Verse 6. Then they arrived. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Why? What do you think? He looked good probably. He may have been tall. Saul was tall. He may have been good looking. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. So he must have been attractive and tall. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. That may be one of the most profound verses in the scripture. What do you think? Outward appearance, appearance, well, really, outward appearance doesn't even predict success. Now, we know in our culture, outward appearance can get you a job, put you in a movie, perhaps, but it's disconnected from your character. And so it's not a prediction of whether someone will obey the Lord. Because a person's actions flow from the heart. You think that ever varies? What do you think, Mike? You think it ever varies? It doesn't ever vary. Our actions flow from our hearts. Now, you know, sometimes we do something outrageous. We, oh, well, that wasn't like me. No, that was just like you. It's this that you often have more self-control under less stress. You're able to restrain some of what you feel. But we always act according to the heart, which includes the beliefs. Always, without variance. Now, the person's heart, 
doesn't just mean the muscle that circulates blood through the body. The word heart in Hebrew in scripture actually has a a much broader meaning, but it really means the inner person, the, the inner, the inward moral and spiritual self. And it includes the emotions, the will, and also reason. Verse eight. Then Jesse told son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimei. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Now, we know in Saul that God had given the people a king like all the other nations had. He was big. He was strong. He was handsome. He was from an influential family, although he denied his family was significant when he was trying to get out of the job. But he was, he was influential. I mean, he was, the scripture actually says in chapter 9, verse 2, that he was the tallest man in the land. And it says not only was he attractive, it says he was the most handsome man in Israel. Now, Israel's about the size of New Jersey. Can you imagine? You're the best-looking guy in all of Jersey. I didn't hear the wisecrack out there. Please stand up and identify yourself so that everyone will know who to insult. But But Saul failed as king. First, because he was fearful. And that fear, fear is behind pride and control. You know that, don't you? He became fearful, proud, then disobedient. Because he turned inward. The fearful man or woman looks inward. Which then that person tries to exert pride to prove something to themselves and others. And the focus on self allows them to be completely disobedient and indulging, indulge personal desires. The next king that was chosen by God was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. You see, God chooses and uses people who care about his own concerns, about his concerns. People who live to please him. People who desire to know his mind, who want to follow his will in in every area of their lives. Now, they don't do it out of obligation or fear. They may do it out of respect, but they also do it out of love and appreciation. And these are people who constantly rely on God, who continually pursue relationship with him. Now, here's the mirror question as we begin. Are you a man or a woman After God's own heart.
Would God say that about, the, about you? Would other people say it about you? You are a man, you are a woman after God's own heart. Do you want to be? Do you want to be? Look at this verse, Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Do you believe that? How would you guard your heart? Who's got an idea? How would you guard your heart? Come on, give me something. From sin, staying in the Word. Submit to God. Those are all good ways. Turn off the television. Who said that? I think there's something to be said for that. If you're going to guard your heart, you're going to have to spend more time communicating with God than you are absorbing media. You know, there was a time when, when media in America was fairly innocuous, maybe even a little bit encouragement toward faith. We've long left that day. You know, I've been astounded just reading just kind of news articles, how even at the end of news articles comes this attack. At the end of almost anything, or someone posts a picture, and then there's compliments and attacks and insults. And I think that stuff diseases our souls. You know, don't you feel burdened when you read that, that harsh, angry attack? When you get exposed to that, don't you, don't you feel burdened, heavy? You know, I want to ask you, take one week away from it. This is the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. What better week? One week. Take one week away from that media and see if you don't have greater encouragement and feel closer to God at the end of that, at least not weighed down so much. Spend some time speaking to God and listening to Him. And I want you to know this. I don't think hearing God is easy and automatic. Do y'all know that? You, you, you know, you hear me say this and you may think, oh, it always happens for him. It doesn't happen like that. No, 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 no. I went years before I ever felt confident that I was hearing God speak. Maybe in an instant when he called me to faith, when he called me to Texas, there were a few times it was clear, but not, not regularly. But I'll promise you this from the, from the testimony of Scripture, followed by experience, God's always speaking if you're willing to hear. God is always speaking, but it will take some practice, and it'll take some uncluttering of your mind. You may be hearing him, but you're debating with yourself whether that was from God. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it helps to eliminate some of these worldly influences. You know, right now God may be telling you that needs to go. Might be a show. Might be some kind of social media thing. Maybe some people that just need to go. You have someone you spend time with and afterward you're, you're burdened. 
you, you know, you're dragging. You need to change some of those relationships. The next qualification for serving God is humble faithfulness. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Were there still the youngest, Jesse replied. Now there's Jesse right there, but they're still the youngest. And he's good looking and tall. But. but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Now at this age, David is probably 12 to 16 years old. Could be 10 to 15, but you'd see that range. Either very young teenager or, you know, just in the first years of, that, of the teenage years. And so, he wasn't considered old enough, or I think more importantly, significant enough or impressive enough to even be considered as a potential king. I don't think it was just age, because you can have a very young child that you think, this one's brilliant. Now, I know we think that about all of our children. I have, Leanne and I have our grandson, I mean, Einstein, move over. <laughs> he's with us all week, so <laughs> we might need some help, but he's only this high, but he can overwhelm us both. But, um, but David was disregarded. You see my point? David was left out in the field. He wasn't enough. And we see the thread through David's whole life. Perhaps we'll consider more of David's life next year. Samuel responded, send him at once. And we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. Does that confuse anybody? Because he just said it wasn't the good looking ones, right? Is that what you heard, Christy? Well, this guy's good looking. David's good looks don't disqualify him. His looks simply were irrelevant. His looks simply did not matter. But his brothers and his father thought, he's not enough. You ever had anybody cast that curse on you? You're not enough. You're not enough. How can you become something? You're not enough. You in submission to God is enough. Is more than enough. See, what matters is the willingness, the desire to let God lead in all things. God doesn't need the most talented, the best looking, the smartest. Example A. That's right. They, but, the, you know, the first service I walked around, they said, you're not so bad. One said, well, at least you have a nice shirt. 
I got it on a warehouse sale. David was the least likely choice among all of Jesse's sons to be chosen as king. Are you the least likely to be used by God greatly? Then you're qualified. You're qualified. You're not very impressive, maybe not real eloquent, maybe not too tall, maybe not too good looking. You're meeting the qualifications. David, you see, shows his character. He's humbly serving the family. They thought he was responsible. They sent him out there by himself. There were no, notice this, there were no other brothers out there. None of the older brothers were there. He's out there by himself. He's probably 12 years old. And he's protecting the very animals that his family is reliant on for their survival. And it wasn't an easy job. He was living out there, sleeping on the ground. And sometimes it was life-threatening if robbers came to steal the animals. And we know from 1 Samuel 17 that he fought off a bear and a lion with God's help. David's humble character is seen in another way. We're not going to read all these verses, but he's just been anointed the next king. He doesn't become king for at least 15 and maybe 20 years. His first task is he plays the harp to soothe Saul. Saul gets all depressed. He gets anxious. He gets worked up. They said, hey, Saul, Jesse has a son. He can really play. Well, let's bring him. He plays the harp for Saul, 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Then he becomes the armor bearer, which just means the guy that carries the armor into battle. He wasn't a big guy because remember when he fought Goliath, he couldn't wear Saul's armor. Saul was a big guy. David, no more than average height than maybe below average height. After killing Goliath, he, he's named us, he's brought in as a soldier, and then later he's named a commander, 1 Samuel 17 and 18. But he doesn't succeed Saul until Saul dies. And then he only becomes king of two tribes in Judah. And it's it's seven years later that he rules over the whole nation, including Israel. Are you willing to wait 20 years? We will if we say this is God's work, not mine. See, God looks for people who will faithfully attempt the tasks he assigns. Even if the task, and maybe especially if the tasks, are mundane, unimportant, unnoticed. How are you serving God that nobody knows about? You know, around here, I can tell you this. I mean, it's sort of obvious. Service on this stage isn't the part that honors God the most. Because we, you know, you sort of get some recognition standing in front of people. You don't know who to 
who to respect around here? A cold, rainy day. Look at the people in the parking lot. It's cold. It's rainy. Sometimes people treat them very badly. A little short Mindy one time had to push a car off herself. And I'll tell you the other one, the people back there changing your children's diapers right now. You know, I've, I've served in the nursery a few times, and they don't let men change diapers. I mean, it's a policy. You say, it's not because we're incompetent, because this week I'm changing lots of diapers. <laughs> but it's just a policy, a help, you know, protection for children. You understand that. But you want to serve somewhere unseen, even unnoticed, unappreciated? Sign up today. You won't be conformed to God's image unless you're walking with him in service. I'll promise you that. And God wants humble people. He wants people that he, that are malleable, can be shaped by him. People who don't see themselves as highly qualified. You know, here's the point. God does not need me. And he could improve by replacing me. He just lets me serve. You see that in yourself? He wants people who don't grab the attention. Who don't compete with him or compete with other people. For recognition. Don't compare yourself. Galatians 6, 4 and 5 say, don't compare yourself with anybody. Do the job God's given you to do. See, if we have sticky fingers, so we're just always trying to grab that light. Look at me. Hey, look over here at me. Hey, you hadn't noticed me. Hey, pay attention to me. Hey, I need some. You're not the person that can serve God greatly. Because you're absorbing it. But if we serve in obscure areas faithfully, but, but appreciate that God touched us and tasked us, and knew us and shaped us for that. Which by itself is an honor. But if we're willing to humble ourselves and serve in obscure areas with faithfulness. Matthew 25 and 1 Peter 5 say that perhaps God will elevate us in his time. To a place of greater responsibility but only if you can keep your hands off of it. Are you willing to serve God in a way only He will see? You willing? The third qualification for serving God is the need to be Holy Spirit empowered. Verse 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came and empowered and would leave. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. In fact, on the next page, it says, The Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit 
that filled him with depression and fear. And that's why David went and would soothe him when he was anxious. After his anointing, the Holy Spirit equipped and empowered David for service. First as a servant, playing an instrument. As an armor bearer, nobody pays attention to the guy carrying the armor. Then as a soldier, then a commander, finally a king. But look at the steps. Not like this. Over 20 years. When God gives us an assignment, he does not expect us to accomplish it using our own gifts and abilities. He expects us to be overwhelmed by it. You say, well, I just have this obscure. Sometimes that's the greatest challenge. Your willingness to serve in obscurity and humble yourself below everyone. That may take more of the Spirit than any other task. Standing in the spotlight takes little of the Spirit sometimes. See the difference? Self-denial is where the Spirit is really needed. And he wants us and expects us to use spirit-empowered gifts that he supplies. You know, have you noticed that we're all gift-jealous? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I wish I could sing like Michael. Oh, I'd be somebody if I could sing like Michael. We're always looking around for whose gifts we want, whose looks we need. Who, you know what I'm saying? Oh, if I just had some hair. Oh, goodness. Well, I wouldn't get that from Michael, but... But the question is, and if you look at 1, Samuel, I mean 1 Corinthians 12, at 1 Peter 4, I'm not teaching it, but read that about the Spirit. God dispenses the gifts. So if you have a problem because you want a visible one, take it up with Him. Because your gift is one of service or mercy, isn't less honored by God. In fact, it may be more honored. Do you know your assignment? We won't be conformed apart from walking along with God, being led by the Spirit. You believe that? You have to be in process with God's Spirit to be shaped. If you're just standing still saying, I'm waiting on Him to do something, you're going to be there a long time. You know, if you don't, you say, well, I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Well, we have a practical way to help you start. There's a class we teach called PLACE. It's a workshop. It's on April 21st, a Saturday. You can sign up, read the program about it. And they help you discover your, your passion, your spiritual gifts. Look at your experience. Look at your abilities. And let you get started. God may ultimately lead you to the perfect gift, the perfect place. But when you don't know, start. Does that make sense? Start somewhere. Get, some, get moving. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I know what God wants from me, but I can't do this. this is, he wants me to reach out to someone who's hostile to faith and hostile to me. Well, it's his responsibility to change that heart. You can't. 
Rely on his spirit to guide you. Rely on his spirit to make the the response welcome. Rely on his spirit to empower you. Then what happens is when you accomplish it, you can't take the glory. It's too great for you to do. See how he gets all the glory and you don't get your fingerprints on it at all. We're closing out Samuel's life today and anointing David is his last official act, his final act. He dies in Ramah it's in 1 Samuel 25 and he's buried beside his house there. Now, Samuel does appear one more time in a very strange way. Who knows it? He comes back in a spirit He's brought back by the witch at Endor. Strange passage, 1 Samuel 28, read it. Are you going to explain that? I'm not going to touch it. (laughs) But Samuel used his entire life to serve God because he belonged to God and he knew it. May we be Samuel-like. You know, today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey from the Mount of Olives. I've been there twice, and the road that Jesus rode on is a very steep hill. So he rode down this hillside. People crowded in, shouting. He rode down into a valley across a small stream up into the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week, which was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you haven't received your elements for the Lord's Supper, please raise your hand, and ushers will bring them to you. Matthew 21 tells about Palm Sunday this way. It says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Actually, Hosanna. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. But again, it was Hosanna. Because the Son of David had come. The Messiah had arrived. And he came as deliverer, as Savior. And they were saying, please save us today. Deliver us. Jesus is the son of David. He was a descendant of King David. But I think in some ways, even more importantly, he was a man after God's own heart. Completely after God's own heart. Because he was fully God. No shade of turning away ever in him. Colossians 2, 9. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus coming to earth, and it says, Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to or grasp. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble servant of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared as a human being in human form, 
He humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. I want you to reflect on his death specifically for you. Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And so we eat the bread. And remember the torn body of Jesus for you. Now take the cup, peel the top off. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. There were four cups. This was the third cup, the cup of redemption. Saying this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement that's confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So we leave with the idea, maybe today, maybe today. You know, today might be the day for you to take a step a decision to follow Jesus, a decision to turn around in repentance and say, I'm never turning back. Counselors come to the front. They'll be here to pray with you, to pray for you. If you have some confession, they'd be happy to hear and they'd be confidential. If you would like someone to anoint you with oil for for healing, they're here to do that. But you know, we're a week before Easter. There couldn't be a better week to realign your life with Christ. Perhaps for the first time to align yourself with Him. You know, for some of you, you've been hanging around the edges of this church for a long, long time. It's time to take a step. Membership class is in this room at 3 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, small groups and ministries will be here to give information. You say, you know, it's time for me to join with some others and live out my faith. It's time for me to use my gifts to serve others. You can learn all about that today at five. You know, next Sunday, as we know, is Easter. I think there's less resistance toward being in church on Easter than any other year. I I don't know that Christmas fits that bill anymore. Easter still does. I want to urge you, invite someone You know someone, not someone from another church to just see what we're offering. Someone with no church, someone adrift, someone who needs to know Christ. Invite someone this week. I also want to urge you to come early for prayer. You know, I I lived in the 60s, grew up then. I don't think the nation was as divided then as it is today. It's hostile It's aggressive. It's angry. How do we solve these problems? Not with protest. 
not with speeches. We need a wave of the Spirit of God bringing revival. And I don't mean church meetings. I mean the Spirit of God regenerating. Reconciliation among races and classes is not going to come through argument. It's going to come through regeneration by the Spirit where I deny myself and serve you. If I have to have my way, guess what? We never reconcile. If I'll deny myself, we can walk closely together hand in hand. We need revival. It's overdue. It's been over 200 years since this nation has seen revival. So I urge you, you know, I ask you to come every week. Some do. I ask you to come once a month and more do. So I'm asking the rest of you once a year. But it's Easter. We'll have prayer at 4.15 on Saturday. We'll have prayer at 8 o'clock on 8 o'clock. Yes, that's right. Why don't you broaden your window for worship at Easter? Come and pray. And let's see if we can reach the ears of God and plead with him to send his spirit to change lives. It won't come from good music or okay preaching. It comes by the spirit of God opening eyes, unstopping ears, changing lives. So let's pray for that. I'll look for you then. Father, we ask that you will do your work in our midst. Lord, help us to pray so we pray. Help us to to work in us so that we care about caring. We're concerned about your concerns, but you have to do a work in us to even get us there. But God, do it. Work in our midst, and we'll praise your name. We offer this in your blessed Son. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.